Welcome to the Southwest Iowa Association of Realtors, also known as SWIRE. This podcast keeps SWIRE members up to date on what's new and happening in our organization. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. It is not our intention to solicit the offerings of other real estate brokers. Not a member? We still encourage you to listen. Each week, we provide you with valuable information related to the real estate industry and Southwest Iowa. Welcome to this episode of The Swire Podcast. I'm Todd Studer, joined in studio today by Amy Swoven, Executive Officer for Swire. And we also have a special guest in studio today, real estate entrepreneur Owen Dashner, who, uh, well, we're going to find out just everything that's going on with Owen because, uh, trust me, this guy's even better at podcasting than me. So uh, we're going to learn all about that in just a few moments. First, Amy, what's the latest at Swire? Well, we're slowing down a little bit as we come into the busy season for realtors. Um, I want to remind everybody about the Bradford Tax Seminar, May 16th. You can contact the office to sign up for that. We have a lot of people signed up, so there's a lot of interest. It's a good topic. Um, And then IAR summer meetings will be June 5th and 6th. We have some other events coming in June, but they're not quite planned out yet. Not up on the Swire calendar just yet? Not quite. But that is coming, so just uh, stay on the site and get back, and uh, you're going to keep everybody updated there and here as well. Yes, I will. Owen Dashner joining us in studio. Thank you so much for coming in today, sir. And uh, occasionally folks come in here that aren't afraid of these microphones, and this will be one of those days. Because Tell us about your podcast. You've had this for quite a while. Yeah. uh, No, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, It's always good to come to downtown CB. This is where my heart is over here. Uh, we have a podcast called RIA Radio. It's specific to real estate investing. Uh, we started out mostly doing in-person uh, interviews with local uh, real estate investors, both in Council Bluffs and the Omaha area. And in the last two years, which is about how long we've had this, um, we've done roughly 90 episodes and we started to do more interviews over podcast apps so that we have national guests now and some international guests. So that's been a lot of fun. How long did it take with your podcast before you realized, oh, we've got something here? We had kind of a cheat code because my co-host is Ted Kosh, and he is with he owns and runs the Omaha RIA. So that organization has about 400-ish members right now, and every month they get together for an in-person basically meet up, and then we have a guest speaker or speakers that come to that. So Ted had a captive audience with a lot of people that were already attending that were excited about real estate investing. I help occasionally run that, and then I help run another meetup group called the Omaha Real Estate Meetup, where there's about the same number of people that are members, and a lot of people attend the in-person meetings. So we already had a lot of people that kind of knew who we were, and that helped a lot with jumping into it and hitting the ground running with getting the podcast numbers going. Anyone that uh, comes through here and sits down to first do a podcast, I, I tell everyone that like the worst one you will ever do is the first one. Yes, and, for and, sure. And then you can just keep getting better. But there's nothing wrong with that. A lack of a better way of putting it, I've described it as you got to be willing to suck for a while. And it's okay. It's truly okay to do that. It is so hard to get over the instinct to make it perfect. So that's what our motto is. Done is better than perfect, and we can go back and make us sound smarter by editing, hopefully. Well, well, and also, it's a lot of work for people <laughs> editing my stuff. But it, Also, though, it's, it's more conversational. It's more relatable, I think, that you don't need to have this wonderful, uh, formatted, sterilized conversation because it just doesn't sound natural at that point. 
I, I liken it to, it's like hanging out with your friends and you're just talking about stuff that you're really interested and passionate about. And the things that people are able to take away from that, if, if I can give somebody, you know, a golden nugget or two f- that they didn't know before they tuned in, or our guest can, then that can go a long ways to helping people out. So I think having one-on-one meetings is great with, with people that are interested in what you're doing, but you're limited by your time. And the more you leverage that by getting your voice out and, and the voice of your guests out, I think it just goes a long way to, you know, kind of spreading the message that you're trying to do. And it's, it's been great. Um, it's kind of weird, uh, where people are like, Oh, I feel like we hung out all weekend. You know what I mean? I just had somebody tell me that last night. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. When you started your career, was it in real estate? No, I actually, I was in corporate HR and recruiting for a long time. I worked for ConAgra Foods then IBM, uh, and then finally Rico. They're a tech company out of Japan. I, I worked for them for about 10 years. So I did primarily recruiting and project management work within the HR space and uh, traveled a little bit, but I worked from home since 2005, which is when I started working for IBM. So that afforded me the time to go out and pursue real estate, which is what I was really passionate about. It just took me a long time to pull the trigger on quitting the jobby job. Well, and it's not just, you're not just buying and selling houses for folks. I mean, you've really dove deep into the industry. Yeah, it's, I never got my real estate license, although I do have a ton of friends that have, you know, that are licensed realtors. And I I was more interested in the investing side. So that's what I dove into and tried to become a subject matter expert on it and then build my own personal wealth and, and my family's, you know, income as a result of doing that. So. How far out is your investments go? I started, I bought my first flip in 2005 and I started with flips so that I could afford to buy rentals. That was the goal originally. And I wanted to do the rich dad, poor dad model of build up your passive income enough to where you can exceed your expenses and then you're out of the rat race to pursue whatever you want. So that's what I kind of set out to do. It just took a lot longer than <laughs> than they would tell you on infomercials. It's uh, it's a little bit different though today trying to flip properties than it was then, isn't it? It is definitely a different climate uh, that we've been through since I've been doing this for eighteen, geez, eighteen years now. It's been different market cycles, different interest rates, different you know buyers buyers markets versus sellers markets. So yeah, I've seen seen a lot in the last couple of decades. You are also getting into multifamily yes. uh, units. In fact, well, I'm, I'm looking at some notes that are here in front of me. You bought one down in Branson at uh, 142 units, really? Yes. Yeah, that has been, that's been a new thing. Uh, we closed on that in Halloween. So it's been a, you know, kind of a trial by fire with converting an, an older hotel. It's kind of a mom and pop 80s built hotel, we're converting that into an apartment. So we're taking it from a 152 room hotel down to a 142 unit apartment complex. And it'll be mostly studios and one bedrooms. And then we're going to turn that basically into affordable housing for the masses. Uh, Branson in particular has a, they call it a crisis of affordable housing, where a lot of the new stuff that's being brought online is so expensive that people that work in a you know, a seasonal employment place like Branson, where there's a lot of hospitality jobs, they aren't necessarily high paying. They have a really hard time afford, you know, affording 1200 bucks a month for a studio apartment. That's kind of what things are going for now in the class A space. Well, in a place that's, that's tourist driven and it, such as Branson, anybody that's got something has got it up on you know, Verbo or Airbnb or all these other places. So it's not available for folks I remember I was out in Colorado on a trip uh, once, and I was talking to somebody in Winter Park about where they get the staff 
for all of these different things that are going on. And he told me if they're interviewing somebody, the first question they ask is, do you have a place to stay? And if the answer is yes, then they're hired because there's just no place for people <laughs> That's to their stay. screening criteria. That's their screening criteria. And so what you're talking about, though, is, is a similar type of philosophy in Branson that people need to be there to work in the restaurants, to work at the tourist attractions, to all of these different places, but there's no place for them to live without a facility like this. Exactly. And, there, and you have people driving... 45 minutes away from Springfield, Missouri, just to work there at their, you know, job, maybe at Walmart or a restaurant or, you know, cleaning, you know, hotels or whatever there, whatever that might be, but they can't afford to live there. So they'll either double up or triple up with roommates or they drive from a long ways away where it's more affordable in a, in a more rural uh, area. This sounds like something that is not, didn't come out of the gate generating revenue for you because there's a full renovation going on. Yeah, it's still not it's still not generating <laughs> revenue, but this is a very heavy lift. So we basically bought it as a foreclosure, and we bought it for ten thousand a door. If uh, people listening to this, if that resonates with you, the per door cost generally in apartment buildings right now, even on the Class C side, which would be your older you know nineteen fifties sixties stock, you're going to pay. I see 80, 90, sometimes $100,000 a door, and that's for existing older properties. And new build stuff is more like 220000 a door to construct it, depending on the size and the location. There's a lot of moving parts involved with a project like that. And early on, did you envision yourself getting into this size of investment? No, not early on. I, I just was focusing on what was ahead of me. So it was kind of hard to see the forest through the trees. I just knew that I didn't have enough money to do what I wanted to do. And I had to put a plan in place to, to get there. It just, it takes a while. You also, uh, right here locally, you've got, you've got a lot of units and rentals uh, here in the Omaha Council Bluffs area as well, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I actually, I'm from Southwest Iowa originally, Malvern, Iowa, and I lived in Council Bluffs for a long time. My kids go to Lewis Central here. So I'm a, I'm a CB guy at heart. I live in Carter Lake, Iowa now, which is mm -hmm. just on the other side of the river. But uh, yeah, I own a number of properties here as well as in Omaha. And then, you know, the Branson deal, uh, we've got kind of a mix right now in my portfolio of a lot of multifamily, some single family, uh, smaller multis, and then office. And then we've got a commercial bay out in West Omaha. Uh, as well. So kind of a, you know, kind of a mix across and, and um, let's see, mixed use building in Ralston as well. Do you get questions a lot uh, from other folks who are interested in getting into investing? Uh, every week. I mean, uh, so one of my key performance indicators for me as, as my multiple businesses are kind of doing their thing, I want to meet with one new person every week. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that they're brand new in real estate investing or real estate in general, but they're new to me. So not somebody that I've seen a million times and I'm sitting down with them and having beers and we're just telling stories. I want to find out more about them, what, what their business is, what their goals are, what's their true north, find out, you know, basically all about them. And, and after that meeting, I've, I've formed now a connection with them. And like we were talking before, you know, we started recording five years from now, I'm going to have 250 new people that I can now say, hey, I know them. I know a lot about them. They know me. I could probably text them and get an answer on anything that I need. But I'm not doing it for me necessarily. I just I think that's the way that you can pour rocket fuel on growing your businesses. And not just – it's a philosophy I've heard before that if you want to advance yourself, it's not always just about you. It's about who are you bringing along with you because you're taking along a networking group as, as just as you described it. Exactly. 
Yeah, I love it. I love meeting uh, new new people, finding out about their, you know, how they do things. It helps me get inspired to run my business better and, and improve on it because I, I sure as heck know that I don't know everything. So it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, you know, putting that into practice over the last several years. Well, if you don't know everything, I'm not sure why we're having this conversation. I don't conversation. either. <laughs> hey, you invited me. So. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Are you able to, when you sit down and you talk to somebody, how often does it happen that you can see a spark in their eye and you can just, okay, this person is, uh, they're really going places? Oh, I, I actually just talked about this a couple of weeks ago with uh, with some of my friends. It's You can tell within usually like less than 60 seconds of talking with someone if they have the the thing, right. the, the it factor or the, the thing that sets them apart from 90% or 95% of the people you meet, the drive, the the insatiable urge to improve themselves and things like that. That I love that man. And when I when I see that in somebody or when I can tell after talking with them, then that's a instant connection that I that I just it's just you get drawn to people like that if you have that kind of inside you as well. Do you think that that's something that can be learned or is it just innate in that person? I don't think it can be learned. I I hate to disappoint people that are listening to this, but I don't think that's something that you can't learn instinct and you can't learn drive and motivation i think it comes from within and i've i've had that since i was a kid like i remember distinctly feeling so different than a lot of my friends when i was young and like i didn't understand what exactly that was and the more time that's gone by the more i know now i have that thing i don't know what it is but it's make it makes me a lot different than a lot of people and and i don't know if that's right or wrong but it is what it is no i agree with you and it's not um it's not an arrogance thing it's uh, it, it, it's kind of a uh, just a self-reliant confidence that a person has. And yeah, I agree that it, it's something you can sense. And it's it's I enjoy being around those kind of people. I also like when people are just naturally curious. And that's why I love podcasting so much. I just kind of fell into this and I didn't realize how much uh, I would enjoy it. And I have a background in recruiting. So over 20 years and in interviewing th- literally thousands of people, I, I now know why it kind of comes naturally to me to be on a podcast, and I love it. I love finding out about what makes people tick and ways they go about their lives and, and figuring out ways that I, I can maybe improve mine just being around them. So With all of these different uh, irons that you have in the fire, mm-hmm. you also have, you, you have to have uh, some good people around you because you do not have the ability to keep all of this running just by yourself. Yeah, it's... You know, I feel sometimes like it's what bubblegum and popsicle sticks holding some things together. But uh, no, I've got uh, I actually just just hired a VA, a virtual assistant to help with uh, marketing and and website uh, development and changes that I've got for a couple of different businesses. And then uh, we've got an in-person assistant that I'm splitting with um, one of my business partners. So we're going to have her handle a lot of administrative load that I'm kind of doing not well right now. What uh, what's next? I mean, is there different things that you're looking to branch into? Are you just focusing on everything that's percolating on the stove right now? Where's where are things at? We're gonna have okay. So I have kind of some goals out there. One is next year we're planning on putting together an in person or a, an event 
for we're shooting for about four to five hundred people. Ideally, a thousand would be good, but we want to kind of grow into this. Where it's going to be mostly real estate investors, and we want to make it a national thing. So we want to put Omaha Council Bluffs on the map and bring people in town for uh, you know pretty hopefully a pretty special event. We're looking at April. We don't have that finalized yet, but we'll put out more info then. And then um, I'm trying to grow a couple of businesses, one being the the hotel conversion business. I think there's a real opportunity all around the U.S. in a lot of different markets for aging hospitality type product and converting that over into, you know, smaller apartments that are a lot more affordable. It's a crisis in the U.S. right now and actually in the world. So if there's, you know, some way that I can help with that, but also, and also have it make sense financially for, you know, my business, then, then that's what I want to, I want to continue doing. So we're looking for deals, you know, all around the U S in that space. And then I'm looking to grow. We have a hard money lending business too. I have that with some partners and, uh, we've worked with a lot of local investors here to fund deals. We've started working on, um, working with investors in Kansas city, Michigan, Indiana, uh, Des Moines. So we're doing a lot of Midwest uh, funding of, of projects. And that's been a ton of fun. I met some really, really cool people. And we're looking to kind of grow that as well. So uh, yeah, I think over the probably the next year, that'll be, you know, some things I'm going to focus on. We're uh, visiting with Owen Dashner today as a real estate entrepreneur. You've got so many different things going on. It's difficult for me to zero in. <laughs> it feels like I'm, I'm jumping back and forth because as you were talking, I'm thinking, all this would make a great podcast. Oh, wait a minute. We're on one and you have one. <laughs> so I'm a lot of this stuff that you've talked about, I'm guessing, are episodes on your podcast. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. I, I try not to. Well, we kind of do an intro where we kind of talk about our day to day and like what happened this week and news updates and things like that. But I try to keep it more focused on the guests. But yeah, a lot of my, my stuff spills over because, you know, I'm a talker. So uh, yeah, but it's been fun kind of talking about the different facets of real estate. And I've, I've been able to keep things, I guess, fresh, you know, cause you can get kind of burned out if you do the same thing over and over and over again. And I've liked to kind of explore different asset classes within real estate, real estate adjacent businesses like, you know, title and, and brokerage and, uh, insurance and mortgage and, you know, things like that. So that's, that's been fun and exciting. And I, I always like new stuff. I get bored pretty easily. So. If someone's listening, and here's the thing, you are good at what you do, and you're good at podcasting. People who haven't started a project like that can sometimes get caught up in the, oh, I could never do that, so they don't go down that road. But you didn't start off as good at podcasting as you are today back in the beginning. So what kind of advice would you give them if they were thinking about starting their own? I think find something that you're passionate about and you could talk about for hours without getting, you know, bored with it. And that will come through in your podcast. If you're passionate and interested about the topic that you're engaged in, then your, your viewers and your listeners are going to, they're going to catch hold of that. And I think that'll be contagious when you have people listening to you. So find something that you're really pumped about. And it doesn't have to be real estate investing. It could be anime or, you know, like tractors or whatever. There's something out there for everyone. And there's a lot of niche spaces that you maybe, maybe you have a hobby in that uh, other people do as well. And nobody talks about it. And, and that's what I think people should keep in mind is find something you're endlessly passionate about. And if you don't have a community naturally of that, there's all kinds of meetups and online groups that you can join and start researching. And, and I think that's how you start growing your audience. And also stick to it because exactly, it, yeah, it, yeah. you can, I have a, uh, 
friend here in town that she produces her podcast here, and she told me that she would find a podcast that she really liked, and then she'd go back and find some other, oh, I want to go listen to the other episodes, and they'd have like three. Because they just, uh, they got tired of it or they were expecting that they're going to suddenly have 100,000 listeners right out of the gate. It doesn't work that way. You know, you can look back at, you know, Joe Rogan is the most famous podcaster out there. You cannot find early podcasts of his out there anymore because they were just so bad. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, definitely, you have to put, this this is a chunk of your life. You have to make it a thing on your schedule that is unassailable. You cannot allow for someone to schedule over your or you to have some flexibility in that and be like, oh, we didn't get to it today. Let's do it tomorrow. And then guess what? Tomorrow's going to come. You'll have something else going on. You have to make it a thing. It's like going to the gym. You have to be consistent with it and you have to stay engaged. Otherwise, it's going to fall by the wayside and you're you're going to be, you know, fat and unhappy. Yeah, it's, it, it's one of the, just like the gym as well, you don't see, it, it's very difficult to see the progress from one to the next. You can only see it by looking farther back in the rearview mirror and to see where you were to where you are at now. That applies to just about everything, whether it's podcasting, whether it's all of the different businesses that, that you have and the different things that you do, that you have consistently gotten better and consistently learn. And and I'm starting to sound like Tony Robbins here, but that's what I do. <laughs> You know, I like finding out interesting things about people that probably very few have actually asked them before when they get on. And sometimes I'll sandbag guests with that. But it's always it's generally entertaining or funny. And like we had we had a gal on a couple of weeks ago that she had a very unique name. Lindsay Iskerka was her name. And I was, you know, doing a little light online stalking and trying right. to find out interesting stuff about her. And I found another Lindsay Iskerka in Minnesota, which was not her that had won the lottery. And so I, that was one of the questions I asked her as a lead in. And she's like, what? I didn't know that. And, and so it was, it was just pretty funny. But I love finding – and it's easier than it has ever been with online research you know, available and social media and everything else. So I think you can find out a lot about a lot of different people, and everyone has something really fascinating about them. It just takes the right interviewer, I think, to – get that info out of them in a way that people are going to be excited to hear. You know, before I got, uh, my online footprint got a lot bigger now, but before uh, I would have to explain to people, you can Google me, but please understand I am not the former third string quarterback for the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> there was a Todd Studer that, that had that and he played in, in uh, Canada for a while. But anyway, I agree with you completely that everyone has a story. There is something interesting about everyone. They may need not even realize how interesting that is, but it's out there. And these are the stories that you can tell through this medium. I love it. I, I will I'm I'm hopeful that this podcast continues and I maybe I'll do some another topic on on one. But I, I love Rio Radio. I think we're in it we're in it for the long haul. And we know, like I said, we've got a hundred episodes coming up soon. And we've done, you know, we, we hit the road and went to a conference called uh, BPCon. It's a Bigger Pockets conference. And I think this is going to be their fifth year. But we took it on the road last year to San Diego and uh, did a whole bunch of, like, video shorts with people that were coming in, in and out of the conferences and breakout sessions and stuff just to find out who are you, what do you do, like, why do you like, why are you here, and just little quick sound bites. And that was a ton of fun. We did, like, 15 of those. And so we had, it was a little weird carrying, you know, equipment around in a hotel, Well, <laughs> but tons, tons of fun. So let's jump into the uh, technical side of what it is that you do, because you have a studio, you were fortunate that you were able to partner with somebody that had some understanding about all of the, uh, the equipment that you were going to need, but it's not 
a giant mountain to climb to be able to do that. I tell folks all the time, you want to know how I do what I do, I'll give you all the information we want. Now, if I can help you do that, I will, but information's free and I'm, I'm willing to share it. And it's um, the way that you have your studio set up, it, it didn't sound like it, it took a terrible long time to get that ready to go. No, that's fair. Uh, and yeah, it's basically you want to make sure that you've got Good sound sound qualities. So you need to put up, you know, baffles on the walls. If you're going to be, you have to think about, is this going to be audio only or is it going to be audio and video? So you have to think through those things and how you're going to plan the camera shots and are you going to get three different angles and, you know, depending on how, if you have a co-host or not and, or are you just going to do like a wide shot? You know, those are things you got to think about. And then your equipment generally is going to sound like crap when you first start. Because you're like, oh, we can get by with these mics. Right. And then you listen back to them, and you're like, oh, that's cringy. And then you upgrade your equipment, and the sound quality gets a lot better, and then you kind of get better at your craft, and then you start asking better questions. And Well, Amy, I think you can speak to that because we have had to record remotely at times. Yes. We had a guest on uh, multiple times that were in a different location, but one time uh, someone had hurt their foot or something, I think. So mm-hmm. they weren't able to make it in here, and you were, went to her and recording – just with an onboard mic on the laptop, and it sounded a little bit different. Yes, it definitely does. This equipment make, make, makes all the difference. So, and it's not, as, as we mentioned, it's, it's not this giant mountain. I mean, yeah, there is an investment here, but when you look at the back end of it, of what you can get out of doing one of these things, I, I recommend uh, podcasting to me is, is uh, we're just getting in, the, we're still in the infancy stages, even though there's a ton of them out there. I think people are learning more and more about what you talked about, about the consistency, uh, Owen, about uh, sticking with it and being willing to ride the waves up and down that are going to come. Yeah, I think if you're looking to start a podcast and you want to be, you know, like a baller on a budget, you could probably buy some basic equipment, get your room set up. And uh, what do you think, Todd? I mean, Amy, like three grand, maybe uh, four. You can have a really nice studio for that. Yeah. So it's, you're not talking about a $50,000, you know, build out cost where, which is going to put the brakes on the plans for a lot of wannabe podcasters. So I think you can, you know, like you said, especially if you already have a computer and it's got decent, you know, memory and processing speed on it. And you, you know, it's all cloud-based software now. So if you get a decent, you know, camera and you get a decent mic or mics, and then you're off to the races. You're working on the video aspect of yours, is that right? Yeah, we have a lot that's stored right now. We haven't uh, processed and uploaded any of that yet, so we're going to have a YouTube channel as well. But um, we were hoping to bring on sponsors to help offset some of the production costs because that's the other thing. Every time you know, every time you have editing that needs to be done, captioning, those kind of things, it, co- it all costs money or time uh, for whoever's involved. I mean, you can certainly do it yourself, as you as you know. Right. <laughs> uh, but if you have you know somebody that's going to be a production assistant or a producer of the podcast, they can do that heavy lifting for you, but it's, it comes at a cost. Well, it's a labor of love. <laughs> that's, that's very, very true. We certainly appreciate your time. Is there anything that you we didn't get mentioned here that you would want folks to know about uh, just as you're offering up this advice. Cause it sounds like you're still, you're always looking for new people to meet. I am. Yeah. I, if anybody listening to this is someone that is interested in what I've talked about so far, whether it be real estate investing or maybe some of the topics I brought up, like converting old hotels to multifamily, if some of that resonates with you, please reach out. Um, I have uh, the, I have Owen Money Real Estate as my Instagram handle, so I like to. I'm starting to be more active on there, and then uh, I'll be kind of changing up my social media stuff here soon too because uh, I'll have a lot more content to put out. Yeah, if anybody wants to you know, connect with me. That's a good place. Instagram. Otherwise my email address is 
owen at liquidlendingsolutions.com. And uh, if you send me an email, I'll uh, do my best to reply quickly, and hopefully we can connect, have coffee, lunch, beer, whatever. Oh, you said beer. I heard you say it. We like to do old fashions on our podcast to help, you know, grease the wheels and get information out of Occasionally people. Occasionally, we have had alcohol in this studio, nice. and I understand that we've not got some- Not on our podcast. No, not on yours. No, 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 Amy, not on this one. <laughs> uh, but we have had, uh, um, we got somebody coming in later to record that said, oh, I'm bringing Bush Light. And I said, they don't have any beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, Owen Dashner, thank you so much for your time, sir. I appreciate it. This and, has been great. Thanks and, for having me. And I uh, look forward to, uh, hopefully we can do this again. Awesome. And we thank you for listening to this episode of the Swire Podcast. New episodes are released each week. Until next time, take care.